Open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 6. I would like to make it through 6, 7, and Lord willing, chapter 8. Chapter 6 is divided into four different sections. So let's begin with chapter 6, and we'll read the first five verses. Now, my son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your own mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. These first five verses really giving a warning about I think business relationships, example of maybe having a friend who's in a fix, he can't get a loan, so you volunteer to sign for him. And basically that's what we're talking about here in verse 1. Or going into business with a business partner who maybe isn't saved. And uh, now you got yourself where you've given your word about something, you've signed a paper, you've shook his hand, and it's sort of signed, sealed, and delivered, and now you're, you're on the rope to follow through if they can't. And Solomon is saying, son, don't do it. Don't be surety. Don't get out of it any way you can. Don't go to sleep at night. Get yourself out of that situation, if at all possible. The second part, verses 6 through 11, deals with just being a faithful worker. Let's read those verses. He said, go to the ant. I like this, you sluggard. (laughs) Consider her ways and be wise. They don't have a captain. They have no overseer or ruler. Provide her supplies in the summer. She gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? And when will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. And so shall your poverty come on you like a robber. And you need like an armed man. Paul spoke about this in the New Testament. He said, uh, don't even call yourself a Christian if you're not willing to work and take care of your family. He said, if you don't work, you don't eat. Somebody want to say amen to that? It's a principle. I had a terrible work ethic um, in my early days. Um, Sat around as soon as I didn't have to work anymore. Um, Out of high school pretty much getting high every day. And when you're high every day, you don't feel like working. You just feel like having munchies, basically. (laughs) Anybody who's been in the 60s, you know exactly what I'm talking about, so don't look at me like that. (laughs) But what happened was I got saved, and the Lord put me in in the ministry with Shiloh. And uh, um, I remember my first... First week up in the Minneapolis house, we, we broke up. We had houses all over the country. And um, their, their work schedule was they worked every day, came home for supper, Bible study every night at 7 o'clock. And that was my lifestyle. But learning how to work, that's where I learned how to work. Um, the two jobs I despised and hated more than any was sanding drywall and hanging insulation that has the fiberglass in it. Those were my two things I hated the most. 
So I get to Minneapolis, and I said, so what's our job? Oh, we're remodeling right now. We're uh, doing a lot of drywall, sanding, and putting in insulation. That's what they told me. And I thought, well, here we go. Here's my first test. And um, all my years in Shiloh, that was the routine. We worked every day, oatmeal every day for breakfast, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day for lunch. And um, we'd come home. We always had people visiting uh, because the word would get out. People that were just hitchhiking across the country, you can get a free meal and a clean bed. All you have to do is listen to one of their Bible studies. So we were involved with ministry after the Bible study, ministering to the new people at that came in, only to get up early the next morning and go back to work. And it was a great system because the way John Higgins had it set up is you would do that for maybe a year, and while you were doing that, you were making it possible for some other person to go to Bible school absolutely free. You were paying for them to go to Bible school, but that went both ways because then it came my turn where I was able to go, and now we were able to, to just study. So it was my period of time of uh, learning how to work. Now, whenever we have a building project here, I can't wait to strap on my work belt and uh, get out my hammer, and uh, whether we're tearing something down or putting something up, I love work projects. I'm always glad when they're over, don't get me wrong, but always glad to be a part of them. So here's, um, you know, Solomon, he's, lo- he's checking out these ants. And anytime you look at an ant, they're always, you know, they always have their job. And um, he says, observe them. Look, look at how hard they work. They're taken care of. They work in the summer. They got all their food for the winter. And the idea, Paul reinforces this in the New Testament where he talks about um, a Christian man's responsibility is to provide for his family, be a hard worker, and um, reminds me of a story I haven't told in a long time, so I'll tell it again tonight. We had a, a, a brother here years ago. He laid carpet for a living. And um, I went in one day to buy carpet from his boss. He was working as a carpet layer, but I would, went in to purchase some carpet. And I didn't tell him who I was. I didn't tell him why I was there. And um, my friend worked there, and um, I started, he started talking about uh, um, this worker that he had. He called him a Jesus freak. All he does is talk about Jesus all the time. He says, but I can't fire him because he's the best worker I have. And that was a great testimony. He, he would have let him go if he could, but because he was the best worker on that, in his shop, he couldn't let the guy go. He says, I can't fire him. I'd love to fire him, but I can't. He didn't know I was the guy's pastor. <laughs> and I didn't tell him. I just I told my friend afterwards, I had a nice chat with your boss today. He'd like to can you if he could, but he can't. You're too good of a worker. So that's the reputation you, you should have, and we should have. You should give your boss, if he's paying you for eight hours, you give him eight hours. And, um, you know, I got scolded one time for... Um, witnessing the people during the job. And uh, I got convicted for doing it. They said, you can do it, but you can only do it if it's on your own time. And I said, you know what, you're right. And uh, I had to take that correction because I was on uh, the clock and I was getting paid to work and I should be working. So 
But what you do on your own time, that's up to you. All right, let's pick it up in verse 12 through 15. Um, Solomon begins to talk to his son about what to look out for in, in the behavior patterns of a person who's wicked. Verse 12, a worthless person, a wicked man. Uh, walks with a perverse mouth, he winks with his eye, he shuffles his feet, he points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. And he devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he will be broken without remedy. And basically, what Solomon is pointing out here is a spiritual principle. The principle is simply this, Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. We cringe at the injustice of uh, ISIS and their cruelty and their wickedness. Um, they're getting away with nothing. Uh, even if they make it and they, they die, they're not going to go to heaven and have 70 virgins taking care of them. Once to die and then the judgment. The next time they're going to be resurrected is in Revelation chapter 20. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. And it says, every man will be judged according to the things that are written in the book. Well, what's written in the book? Everything they ever did. So all this cruelty that's taking place right now with ISIS, or any wicked person for that matter, nobody gets away with anything. The principle is like gravity. It's going to work every single time. If you sow that, you're also going to come back, and it's going to come back upon you. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight, a perverse man will sow strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Proverbs eleven, the wicked man does de- deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. So again, just raising your kids. Um, the one thing that I'd add to that is this is dad's response, primarily dad's responsibility, mom and dad, but primarily dad. And here is a dad talking to his son. Son, look out for this kind of a guy. He winks. He's got that shifty look about him. Uh, you can read his body language. And so he says, stay away from him because it's going to come back on him. Verses 16 through 19, we had this for a Sunday message a couple of weeks back. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. Again, seven is the number of completion, seven days in a week, um, seven notes on a scale, then it starts over with do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, and then you're back at do again. Seven primary colors. Um, the book of Revelation is full of sevens. Seven letters to seven churches. Um, seven years of tribulation, uh, seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments, all meaning one thing, it's complete. So what we're looking at in verses 16 through 19 is a complete portrait of um, the things that God actually despises and hates. And they're a completion. And the first one is the worst of all of them, and that is a proud look. Pride is the worst sin in the Bible. It's worse than adultery or fornication or lying or stealing. 
because this one here was the original sin. Pride is what brought Lucifer to the point of declaring that he wanted to be like the Most High, and he took it upon himself, open rebellion, was able to persuade. I wonder how he pulled this one off. One-third of all the angelic angels somehow were drawn into Lucifer's deception, and they went along with him. The middle letter, I always like to say with uh, the word pride, what is it? It's always I. So you go to Isaiah and you have the five I wills, and they're all in reference to Lucifer. So I don't know, you know, the Jesus style, anybody who has a real relationship with the Lord, <clears throat> what happens is you, you immediately become humble because when you meet a holy living God, it's sort of like Isaiah. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He actually saw the God, and when he did, it was such a revelation of his sinfulness that all I could say is, woe is me, I'm in big trouble. I see how holy God is and that light is shining on me and it shows me how wicked I am. So it's a humbling experience um, when a person is in the presence of God. And I think of Moses. Moses was in the presence of God, so much so that his, <laughs> his face began to shine. And yet when we read about Moses in the scriptures, we read the greatest man who ever lived, that was John the Baptist, but the humblest man who ever lived was Moses. And Moses didn't even want the job. He says, I can't speak. You know, give it up. I, I can't do it. Send my brother Aaron. He's a much better speaker than I am. He says, no, I chose you, Moses. But he chose him because um, he had everything uh, going for him, and he gave it all up. He had all the wealth and the treasures of Egypt. He was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. He was probably heir to the throne. And Hebrews says he chose suffering with the people of God greater riches than the treasures that were in Egypt. And that's what happens when, when a person meets the real God. Jesus said, take my yoke and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So many people today have no peace, they have no rest in their soul, especially those who walk in pride. And, um, and yet here, whenever a, priest, a person comes into a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he automatically begins that process of recognizing his uh, own, own insufficiencies is a good way of saying it. So number one, a proud look, top of the list, as far as the things that God hates. Number two, a lying tongue. I'd like you to turn to John chapter 8 as we look at number two here. I would like to draw your attention to verse 44, but let me give you just a little bit of a background in this chapter. John 8 is one of the chapters that sort of builds as the scribes and the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus any way that they can. They try to trap him. This first part of him, this woman is caught in the act of adultery. They try to trap him there. And then the dialogue just heats up after that between the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus. They go as far as to say that Jesus was um, born out of fornication. Because in verse 41, he says, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, verse 41, well, we were not born of fornication. Well, what's the implication there? That he was. Oh, the word's out on you, Jesus. 
Yeah, Mary, virgin born. You think we're buying that one? And so they're making this accusation against them. We have one father but God. So it's heating up. But then the Lord turns it right back on him in verse 44. He said, you guys are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and he is the father of it. So the second thing that God says he hates is a lie. Why? Because the very first words out of Lucifer's mouth was, hath God said? You're not gonna die. Well, that was a lie. God said the day you eat of the, of the fruit, you're going to die. And um, Satan t- tells Eve, it's not true. God knows in the day that you eat of it, you're gonna become wise. And she looked at it, something, uh, we have the three things right there, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life right there. You can have all those things, just take of the fruit. But it was a lie. So when he says he was the father of it, he's going back to Genesis, the first conversation between the devil and Eve was a lie, a flat out lie. Now, if we take this down a little bit farther, it gets heated up and... Um, the Lord is saying, uh, they accuse him now of having a demon. So now they're throwing that at him. And he says, I don't have a demon. Uh, verse 49, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Verse 50, for I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham's dead. And the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets, who are dead? Who do you think you are? And who do you make yourself out to be? And here's the Lord's response. He says, if I honor myself, then my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me. Remember when he was baptized? Voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Or how about the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah appear and then Peter sees him and says, oh, this is great, we've built three tents. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. And the father interrupted Peter mid-sentence and what does he say? This is my son, hear him. They were all caught up in Moses and Elijah. So uh, it's the father who honors the son. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say he is your God. Now verse 55. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I don't know him, then I would be a liar like you. Can you see it heating up? Uh, but I do not, but I do know him and I do keep his word. I can't say that the Father doesn't honor me because he does honor me. If I said anything other, I'd be a liar just like you guys are liars. And he says, by the way, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Well, that blew their minds. The Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old. And you said, you've seen Abraham? 
And this is one of the greatest verses in the Bible, right here, verse 58. And he said, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, ego amin in the Greek, I am. You see it capitalized in your Bible? That's because it's in reference to the voice from the burning bush. Who shall I say has sent me? Tell that I am, that I am has sent thee. And they knew exactly what Jesus was saying here. And um, uh, verse 59 clarifies that they took up stones to throw at him. Why? Blasphemy, as far as they were concerned. Because he was making himself out to be God. But Jesus hid himself and went out through the temple, going through the midst and passed by. The second thing that God hates, let's go back to um, Proverbs 6, is someone who lies, or who is uh, a liar. You know, there's no defense if somebody tells a lie about you. What are you going to do? You can give them your side of the story. But um, um, many a reputation has been destroyed because of, of uh, the person who's just a plain liar. All right, hands that shed innocent blood. Well, yes, I thought of ISIS, but I, what I thought of more here was Roe v. Wade in 1973. And since 1973, we have shed the blood of 57 million innocent babies. Over one million babies every year are killed. Innocent blood. Um, I was catching part of Standing for the Truth this morning, and they were talking about um, this woman doctor who was explaining, it's hard to even talk about it. Uh, they were explaining how to um, um, kill a baby in the womb but still maintain the lungs and preserve them so that they can sell them. Now, how perverse is that? It's hard for me to say what I just said. I know it was hard for you to hear what I just said. Somebody please say amen. It's awkward, and it's hard to say such things. What does God say? He says he hates it. Somebody that would um, shed innocent blood. Well, they're going to have to give an account. You know, you know the only positive thing that comes out of that? Um, we're going to study tonight that before you were even born, God knew you and put all of your ways in his books. And every one of those babies is in heaven. They don't have to go through the, the suffering of this world. No way am I implying that it's... That, um, any way that's justified. God hates it. It says so right here. There's nothing more innocent than a child in its mother's womb. All right, verse 18. A heart that devises wicked plans and feet that are swift in running evil. So we're talking about what comes out of the heart. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 15. Jesus was talking about the religious leaders. Verse 15, then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. And so Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and it is eliminated? Uh, They were on the Lord because um, uh, they weren't washing their hands and and, um, the Lord is reproving this, the scribes and the Pharisees. But he says, you guys are missing the main point. In verse 18, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. It's not what you eat that defiles you. It's what comes, what's in here that eventually makes its way out of your mouth. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says, we speak. Then in verse 19, for out of the heart proceed what? Thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Now these are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And this is what uh, they were all upset about. If you go back to verse 1, they were again after Jesus, and they say in verse 2, why do you and your disciples transgress the traditions of our elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread? Um, well, they're missing, they're missing the point. It's not what defiles you. In Roman Catholicism, you, if you don't do the cross, you're really not praying. It's part, of, it's part of a tradition. Well, that doesn't do anything. If your heart isn't right before the Lord, this isn't going to help at all. So we want to say amen then? It's a tradition of man. It's, it's what's in here that comes out here. And eventually, you don't have to scratch the surface too hard on some people to find out what's really under the surface of their heart. Anyway, the Lord hates it. And... Um, the reason he hates it, he says, it's really a heart issue, what comes out of the heart. All right, back to um, the next one, which is chapter 6. And uh, we have a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. How to... Um, Deal basically, we could go to James here and talk a whole lot about the tongue, uh, the trouble it can get a person into. Basically, it is talking about a gossiper, um, one whose primary purpose is to destroy um, through uh, sowing discord by gossiping or lying about an individual. In summing this up, um, the list of seven sins is like a mirror when we, when we read all these seven. We look into it and we squirm because we see ourselves and we have to admit that we're guilty of um, all these things from time to time. And, they, and when they do, we need to be quick to repent and acknowledge it as sin and um, ask the Lord to um, direct and guard your tongue, put a guard over it, and um, keep it locked. <laughs> listen, listen, speak a little, listen much, and never argue. That's the verse. We have one of these, <laughs> two of these, and we're supposed to use this a whole lot more than this one here. All right, from 20 to, let's see, the rest, 23 through 25, we'll read this. But we're really going to deal with it more on Sunday as we get through the rest of this chapter. And what we have here is the setting of seduction. And uh, here is a father having a birds and bee talk with his boy. Much of 6, 7, and 8 is going to deal on this issue. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Uh, to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, 
An adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. So here is the difference between fornication and adultery. Here is a man who is being seduced. And Solomon says, don't buy it, son. If if you get caught up in that trap, it's going to destroy you. You can't take fire into your bosom and you're not going to get burned. If you commit this sin of adultery, it will mark you for the rest of your life. Now let me say this. In your past, if you have committed this sin, again, and if you've taken it to the Lord, then you need to be told over and over again that that sin is forgiven, as long as you haven't continued in it. And the Lord says he'll never remember it again, but not so with your enemy. He will always throw it in your face. You call yourself a Christian? Don't you remember when you did that? And you call yourself a Christian. And this is where you have to stand upon this book rather than the way you think or you feel. Somebody want to say amen? Because the enemy, will he'll kill you with with convictions of, of something that happened in your past. I quoted Romans 8.1 on Sunday. I'll quote it again now. There's there, and this is after Paul goes through the whole list in Romans 7 about, I know what to do, but I just don't do it. I know what's right, I should do it, and I do what's wrong instead. O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? I'm a, I'm a wretch. And then that's the end of the chapter, but then the first verse of Romans 8, verse 1, it says, therefore, whenever there's a therefore, you say, what's it there for? Well, this list of problems that Paul had with his flesh. He says, but I'm in Christ. Therefore, there's no condemnation who those who are in Christ. And um, I used to have a, a friend that uh, he, would, he would just walk around bummed out all day long. He's in one of our houses and uh, we used to get so tired of him being bummed out from past sins, we started having fun with the game, saying, let's play condemnation. Today's contested is, and we'd name him by name. Because he was always falling into this thing, we always had to tell him the same thing over and over again. I said, get over it already. The Lord is forgiven and forgotten. Why are you still dwelling on this stuff? So, um, verse 30, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. You're going to pay for your crime. And in the law, that's what the price was. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. But whoever commits adultery with a woman is lacking understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get and his reproach will not be wiped away. I mean, they, we still talk, and it's being brought up because we're in campaign mode, and uh, they're bringing up Clinton's affair that he had in the White House, and it's being played over and over again. It'll, it'll never, ever go away. That'll be something that he'll always be remembered for. And then it says, For jealousy is a husband's fury, therefore he will not be spared in the day of vengeance. He will accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased, though you may give him gifts. So chapter 6 um, slides into chapter 7, and I'm going to read the whole thing and just make a comment on it because I'm taking my text for Sunday out of chapter 7 
and um, we'll get more in-depth on it there. So uh, chapter 7 of Proverbs, my son. Yeah, my son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. And my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. And here's her line. For at the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice, and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house. We're talking the red light district here, in case you haven't figured it out. In the twilight, it's in the evening, in the black and the dark night, and there's a woman that met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. And so she caught him, kissed him. With an uh, impudent face, she said to him, I have peace peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you, diligently to seek your face. Now I found you. I've spread my bed with tapestry and colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrh and alloy and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. My husband's not home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taken some money with him, with me, him, and he won't be home. Uh, and he won't be home until the appointed time. And with her enticing speech, she causes him to yield. So he's seduced. Um, that's the Sunday's message. It's called seduction. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went in after her as an ox goes into the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver and a bird hastened to the snare and he did not know that it would take his life. He had no idea that this moment of pleasure, this temptation, this seductress was going to destroy the rest of his life. All for a moment's pleasure. Now therefore... Because this is what will happen. Listen to me, son. He's saying, listen up. Listen, my child, and pay attention to my words of my mouth. And do not let your heart turn aside to her. Do not stray into her path. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Somehow, somehow I got the house of the risen son going, playing in the back of my, my head. <laughs> And, and that's the chorus. It'll, it'll ruin you. Any of you that have been on Bourbon Street, um, and I admit I have, we're just on vacation, but we're just going through. And um, we're just walking down the street. Seriously, you have to have blinders on both sides of, of, of what you're walking down. There's that much perversion in, um, on Bourbon Street. Uh, verse 20, she has cast down many wounded for all who are strained by strong men. Her house is the way to hell, uh, descending to the chambers of death. 
So here we have two back-to-back chapters, chapter 6 and chapter 7. Proverbs are about gaining wisdom. So father, having a talk with his son, saying, son, if you really want to mess up your life, you're going to get tempted eventually in this area. And uh, so we can deal with this as a temptation, but just temptation in general. There's a lot of temptations. And the Lord, when he was taught... um, when he was, the Lord gave the Lord's prayer, he says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's how the Lord's prayer ends. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So part of this idea was actually being tempted. Let's turn to uh, follow this thought through, and let's go to Luke chapter 4 in the New Testament. And... Um, Talk about temptation, dealing with temptation. The very first order of business, Jesus was 30 years old. He was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and he was immediately driven into the wilderness in verse 2. And he said it was, Jesus was tempted for 40 days by the devil And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards when they had ended, he was hungry. So during that 40 days, what was going on? Well, Satan was there tempting him in every area. In Hebrews 4, 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Because sometimes you get tempted and you actually yield to the temptation, and you sin. Well, what Paul is explaining, I think Paul is the writer of Hebrews, don't think that Jesus can't relate because he's God. He was also man. He says, he goes on to say, but was in all points tempted as we were, yet without sin. You mean to tell me that Jesus was tempted by a woman? Tempted, yes. Yielded to the sin, no. The Bible tells us he was tempted in every single area that either you and I have been tempted in, except Jesus never yielded to the temptation. Well, let's go through it. Um, The first thing was he was hungry, and the temptation for the Lord was, from the devil was, just if you're God, then you can make these stones into bread just like that. And here's such a great verse. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. He practiced that. On Sunday, we're going to talk about um, the woman at the well, one-on-one with a Samaritan gal. And uh, when he had led her to himself, declared that he was the Messiah, they came and they said, Lord, you must be hungry. Here's something to eat. And he says, no, my job is... My meat is to do the will of the Father. So he was hungry. He was also thirsty. But he says, what's really important to me is what we're reading right here. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. We call the Wednesday night Bible study getting fed. So we want to say amen to that? Wednesday night Bible study is all we're doing. Is we're sitting down, studying God's word, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And we just throw it out there, trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to grab the hold of these words and some plant them in our heart and hopefully we can feel that we've left satisfied with a meal. And um, 
That's, there's only one way that this can be accomplished, and it's by doing what you're doing tonight. Every man lives by the word of God. All right, that didn't work. How about power and authority? And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. Multidimensionalism, time travel is all included in this temptation as far as I'm concerned because I believe the enemy has the capacity to do that. And so he saw all the kingdoms of the world all at one time and um, the devil said to him, all the authority I will give you in the glory for it has been delivered to me and I'll give it to whoever I wish. The Lord didn't say, listen buddy, I created this planet and everything that's here belongs to me. Well, it's true that he created and it's true that um, uh, it was also forfeited to Lucifer when Adam and Eve sinned. Jesus does not get into an argument that he does have that authority. He's called the God of this world. And he says, if you'll just worship me, I'll give it to you. And you won't have to go to the cross as the implication. And Jesus said unto him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you'll worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. What's the best way to fight temptation? Uh, when it comes especially um, to um, the sexual sins, um, I hope I'm not getting ahead of myself. Is I am getting ahead of myself, so I've got to watch my notes here. Um, let's finish uh, verses 9 through 11. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, now Satan is quoting scripture. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it has been said you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, everyone, he departed from him and never bothered him again. Is that what it says? No, he's not good. Uh, you can read, the Bible says, resist, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Well, for a while. Do you think he's going to give up on you? No. As long as we're in this body, we have two enemies. One of them is the devil, and the other one is your flesh. Those are our, our, our two enemies. James said, let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires, and, uh, and that's when he's enticed. Um, you know, when it comes to this area of, of temptation, especially in the area of sexual sins, the danger today is probably the internet and the pornography that's on the internet. And... Um, this is so easy and accessible. But the scripture, this is what's interesting to me when it talks about sexual sins. When Paul was writing to Timothy about this, <clears throat> um, he tells him to flee sexual immorality. Every sin that man does outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. You know, everywhere else when it talks about spiritual warfare and uh, it says take out the sword of the spirit, right? Hold up the shield of faith. It doesn't say that about this sin. What does it say? Run. 
<laughs> Don't try to fight it. Don't try to hold up the shield of faith. Flee. Just take off and realize that this an area that might be a weakness and run from it. All right, that brings us to, let's go back to chapter 8, our last one for the evening. Chapter 8 is a, a contrast and... Um, First 21 verses I want to deal with, with the contrast that's drawn between God's wisdom and um, comparing it to not being ignorant of, of uh, three things that we'll look at in the New Testament. Verse 1, <clears throat> does not wisdom cry out in understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of a high hill beside the way where the path meets. She cries out by the gate at the entry of the city. Even at the entrance of the doors, to you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, and I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will speak truth, but wickedness is an abomination to my lips, all the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who has understanding. And write to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that one may desire cannot be compared with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way. And the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By my king's reign and rulers decree justice. By my prince rule nobles and all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, and fine gold, and my revenue better than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the past of justice, that I, might, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasures. Now, the Lord said, wherever your, your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be also. At this time, I want to contrast the wisdom of what we're having here. I wouldn't trade anything in, for what I know about what's going on in the days we, we're living in. If I haven't been studying this book for the last 40 years, primarily in the area of Bible prophecy and eschatology, I would have no idea what's happening today from a biblical perspective. But having studied the Bible for this period of time, I really can honestly say I have perfect understanding what's going to happen next in the Middle East. I know what we're being set up for because the Bible clearly lays it out. I'm not deceived that the world is going to get better and better which is dominionism or kingdom now theology, it's not going to get better and better. It's going to get worse and worse. Well, how can you say that? The Bible says so. The days are going to wax worse and worse. The hearts of many will wax cold and so on. 
And so I wouldn't trade my knowledge that this book has given me for anything because it's priceless. Now, there are three things that, uh, that, there are many things that we could point to, but there's three places I'm gonna have you turn to as we close tonight where we have wisdom and there's things that the Lord doesn't want us to be ignorant of. So the first one I want you to turn to is a familiar one for us and it's in the book of Romans, chapter 11. Romans 11. And the reoccurring word here is ignorant versus contrasting what we've just read in the first 21 verses of um, Proverbs 8. The wealth of knowledge that you can gain in knowing what's happening and not being ignorant. And so in verse 25, Paul, writing to the Romans, says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant, all right, of this mystery, lest you would be wise in your own opinion, that hardening in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Well, before I came here tonight, I, I wanted to watch the first five minutes of the, of the CBS Evening News because there was a direct interview that was being broadcast live with Benjamin Netanyahu about the peace treaty that we are now forging with Iran. Stuff two years ago that was unthinkable is now right on the table. Well, as I'm listening to this, I know that this is all part of um, them being back in the land now for 67 years. The stage is set. The Lord said that the generation that sees that happen is gonna see the fulfillment of all Bible prophecy. Well, you have to know what to look for. So now we have the leader of Israel saying this is the most dangerous thing that's happened since World War II because we're just getting set up. And, um, you know, Hitler wrote Mein Kampf. He said exactly what he was gonna do, and then he did it. Well, the Ayatollahs in Iran um, that one of the questions they asked Bibi is, well, why don't you sit down and invite this guy down to Jerusalem? Bibi says, are you crazy? Haven't you, haven't you heard what they said they want to do? They want to get a nuclear weapon, and the first thing they're going to do is wipe us out as a people. They've openly declared it. It's on, it's on the books. It's written. Well, what we know and what Paul says here, I don't want you guys to be ignorant. Well, I don't want Calvary Chapel of Appleton or any Christian to be naive or ignorant about what this verse means right here. In the same way that Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, that you would be wise in your own opinions, that God has hardened the heart of Israel for a reason. And they've been dispersed into the world, but now they're back and the stage is set. But until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that word means that there's just like God is so perfect in his creation, when he says he counts the stars and numbers them and calls them by name, if he's that correct in his knowing the very number of the stars, don't you think he knows exactly how many numbers it takes for the church to be complete? And uh, when that number is met, then the rapture of the church takes place and we're out of here. And then what happens? God keeps his promise to Israel. He owes them seven years. That's Daniel chapter nine. 
483 years are fulfilled from Daniel 9. He still has, the clock stopped. It, it stopped when they rejected their Messiah. Jesus said, you're not gonna see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what happens at the end of the tribulation? The remnant of the Jews call upon the Lord and uh, they return to him and the Lord comes back and he fights for Israel. So one of the things not to be ignorant of is the CBS Evening News and why it's so important that uh, the focus of the world is where right now? On Israel. We're interviewing them in the first five minutes of the news. Gang, you need to see that as a signpost and a sign that there's a reason that we're watching this uh, unfold. How's my time? Good. All right, second one, you know, let's turn to... Um, Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, next chapter over. Another thing we're not to be ignorant of. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be what? Ignorant. And I'm just going to read and I'll come back and touch on these here. So Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, they were a messed up church. They had a lot of problems. He says, you know that you were Gentiles, carried away with dumb idols wherever you were led. Another way of saying that, in my generation, if it felt good, do it. (laughs) Verse 3, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but it is the same Holy Spirit. There are difference in ministries, but it's the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. If you're here tonight, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, and um, you've received the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've been given a gift. Now, the the purpose of the gift is to exercise it so that other people will profit. Uh, Go to chapter 14, verse 12, real quick. This is a page over. Talking about spiritual gifts that he doesn't want us to be ignorant about. It says in verse 12, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, you want them, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. And then verse 26, the last part of it says, let all things be done for edification. So without exception, if God has given you a gift, he wants you to exercise it, this is how you'll know that you're doing it right. That it will be there to build up, in verse seven, for the profit of all. Your gift was given to you to build somebody else up other than yourself, one exception. That one exception is in chapter 14, verse 4, and that is a gift of tongues. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So here is the one gift that is used for building up yourself. There's a lot of good ways to build up yourself. Uh, my wife li- likes to listen to Joe Foch all day long, and she will. And um, listening to good Bible teachers or good praise uh, songs. Uh, That's a way of self-edification. Well, another way is speaking in tongues. But apart from that, every other gift without exception is given so that you can 
you know, let the reservoir out. Um, let me give you an, an analogy of this, and it's one I use often. Um, the Jordan River starts at the base of Mount uh, in the northern part of Israel, um, and it flows down into the Sea of Galilee, which is full of life and teeming. That flows down the Jordan River all the way to the, the Dead Sea, the, the lowest place on planet Earth. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea for one reason. It doesn't have an outlet. It flows in, life flows in, but it's, so, it's the lowest place on Earth. It can't go up, so it, there's nothing alive in it. It can happen to us. If we don't take the things that, um, like Paul says, that which I receive from the Lord, I'm going to give it to you. And uh, you should be talking often amongst yourself. What's the Lord done in your life? And what's he doing in your life? Talking about the Lord. And sharing with others about the Lord. All right. Verse 8, back to chapter 12. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. So what did we just learn? That every gift except for the baptism of speaking in tongues, is for building up somebody else. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. We're in the Proverbs speaking about how valuable knowledge is. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gift of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of the tongues. Verse 11 sums it up. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity, equal to the Father and the Son, and it is the Holy Spirit as he wills that gives out the gifts and decides who gets what and uh, even to the measure of faith. Some people have more faith than others because actually one of the gifts here is that of having the gift of faith. Verse nine, to another faith. So some people's faith, don't be jealous when you say, well, that guy's got more faith than I do. Well, that's a gift. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes where? Right from above. All right, one more, and we'll call it a night. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us, picking up verse 13, this is the third place that the word ignorant occurs in the New Testament, contrasting it again to knowledge. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. What a great scripture. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of what happens when a Christian dies. We just read Psalm 112 um, just a couple of weeks ago. Blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So that when a believer dies, the word death is never used. It's always sleep. So if you have a loved one and he's saved, then yes, of course, we, we sorrow. But let's face it, they're home in heaven. <laughs> They have no more pain, no more sorrow, no more difficulties. So Paul says, listen, let's get this one straight. I don't want you to be ignorant of what happens when a person dies, if he's a believer. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. 
Then he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do we believe that? Say amen if you do. Okay, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, this is one scripture that we have to tie into Corinthians where it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when a person dies, he immediately goes to be with the Lord. This verse here is a rapture verse that Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant about. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed or have an advantage over those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, literally here, will have risen first. And they're already there. Well, how do you know that, Dwight? Well, go back to verse 14. What does it say? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, the Lord's gonna bring those with him when he comes again. And this is tied into verse 16, the rapture of the church, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. This ties into where we were in Romans 11, where he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning why I've hardened the heart of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. That's the rapture. So here, you say, well, the word rapture isn't there. Well, it's the Greek word, rapturos, caught up. It means the same thing. It means to snatch out violently. Paul first explained it in 1 Corinthians 15, that we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in twinkling of an eye. It's a rapture verse and we'll be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, in the Lord, in the air. And then we're gonna be with the Lord, and then verse 18, therefore, scare one another to death with these words. Right? No, the whole idea is we see what's happening. We see what's coming down the pike. We see how bad it's going to be. But the Lord says, don't worry about it. I've not appointed you to wrath, but to obtain salvation. The Lord has his own escape plan for the church and he's not gonna take his bride through the great wrath of God, which is a seven-year tribulation period. So we can end our Bible study tonight loving wisdom, not wanting to be ignorant of what's happening right now in our times and be able to articulate it and explain it to people and say, let me tell you what's really happening, why this is all really happening in the Middle East. If anybody should be able to tell them it should be the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? I could ramble on, but I better not because I'm past my time. Let's stand and we'll, we'll pray. Last verse is, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Lord, as we make our way in Proverbs 6, 7, and 8, Lord, we take to heart the warning to live morally pure in these last days when there's so many temptations and so easy to access them. Lord, we pray you'd put a guard over our, our eyes and protect us. And then, Lord, we thank you for this book of wisdom and um, that, as you told your disciples, that you call us your friends and that you'll reveal everything if we're willing to take the time and really study your word. Thank you so much for the Bible, Father, for your word. Truly, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from you. 
And we're so grateful tonight, Lord, for your word. Bless it to our hearts and give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.